0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. We're going to talk about the wee little man and his giant encounter. The wee little man and his giant encounter. Um, As you're turning there, a group of friends went deer hunting and uh, paired off in twos for the day. That night, one of the hunters returned alone, staggering under the weight of an eight-point buck. "'Where's Henry?' they said. "'Well, Henry had a nasty fall and broke both of his legs. He's a couple miles back up the trail. "'You, you left Henry and, and brought back the deer?' "'Yeah, it was, it was a, a tough call, but I figured nobody would steal Henry.' You're welcome. Luke chapter 19. Let's go to verse 1. Luke 19 verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Kind of a redundant statement. And he sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead of the ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. He looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Then, but when they saw it, that is the crowd... They all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. (gasps) No! (laughs) Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold or four times. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. He also, because he also is a son of Abraham, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for it. It's truth. It's power. Thank you that it is living and it's relevant right now to us, to our lives, God. We're here to receive the life that your word gives to us. We thank you that it's life to us and it's health to all of our flesh. And I thank you now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to be upon your people, Lord. That we would leave here better than when we came in today, God. And Thank you, Lord, that we're being transformed, your scripture says, from glory to glory and to the image of Christ. Lord, today we want to be more like you. We want to look more like you by what we receive, by what we experience here in this house, amongst your people, Lord, in your presence, and by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 First thing I want to get to you from this story is, number one, Jesus sees you. He sees you. He looked up and saw him. Number two, Jesus welcomes you. He said, I'm coming to your house. Kind of welcomed himself, but I'm coming to your house. And number three, he changes you. Today, he said, salvation comes to this house. Zacchaeus, being a chief tax collector, the scripture says, and he was very rich, they, uh, employed by the Romans, the tax collectors were employed by the Romans to tax their own people to tax the Jews. And not only did they, uh, were they there to receive taxes from their own people, but they also added their own tax on top of the Roman tax. And so as a result, the tax collector was very much looked down upon by society. The people felt betrayed by them, that they're taking money for the Romans from them. And uh, so they were not looked upon. Uh, in, in high regard. And, but the chief tax collector had a little different position because all the tax collectors were under him and he had, uh, the way he received his income was not only from taxation through the, way, through the monies that the tax collectors got from the people, but they, he also taxed the tax collectors themselves. So it's bad enough being despised by the people with whom you're receiving taxes, but when the tax collectors themselves despise you too, <laughs> you're, you're, you're living a lonely existence. And so thus was Zacchaeus' position. But it was one that had much um, power. There was much money with that position. Uh, no doubt to come to that position of power, it took time. He had to, to work his way up, stepping on the backs of other people, no doubt, to get there. Disregarding their position, disregarding their pain in the situation or their even their poverty. Apparently, when Zach reached the top, though, he found that it was lonely up at the top, and all he had worked for hadn't worked for him. We don't know how he became curious about Jesus, except that you know, news about Jesus was going about all the time. I imagine that he just simply heard the reports of healings and, and people's lives being impacted and changed and by his teaching and by his personal touch. He overheard people telling these stories, stories of miracles, blind eyes being opened, maybe, maybe even teaching the story about, because this was prior to this, this experience. Maybe he had heard that story when Jesus talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember that story? When he said that they went to pray. And the Pharisees stood up and said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. I pay my tithes. I do this. I do that. I fast this often. And thank you that I'm not like all those people. But then there was this tax collector, it says, who couldn't even look up to heaven, but beat upon his chest, said, God, for, forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus told the crowd, he said, which one of these two men went home Justified it was not the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. Maybe he had heard that story. Maybe something in him connected to that, that Jesus didn't look down on tax collectors as others did. Maybe he was interested simply because there was an old story about a man by the name of Joshua who'd come into Jericho before. And by the way, they knew Jesus as Joshua, not as Jesus like we know him. We know him as Jesus through Greek transliteration. But his name was Joshua. They called him Yeshua HaMashiach, Joshua the Messiah. Nobody else could phase this wee little man. It took years to build up the walls that he had, to fortify himself against society. No man's plight, no man's need could penetrate those walls of how he would do business. He was short of stature, the scripture teaches us. This is, this is probably what fueled his fire to be on top. We call it little man syndrome. And maybe he thought, if I can't win in stature, I'll win in position, I'll win in power, I'll win in money. I'll... And yet now... After this time of years of building defenses and time of fortifying himself against and him, becoming to this place of prestige, things are stirring in him. He has feelings that maybe he's never felt before, because that that glimmer of hope, that change, that possibility for change, that possibility for renewal, something new. I don't know. I don't know. But but. We do know that the scripture says that Zacchaeus ran, right? This is an aged man who apparently, he's very rich, so he shows it in the way he dresses. I don't think he has a habit of running around the city, all right? He probably walks a little bit slow, makes sure people notice him, but now he finds himself running. Very interesting. Something is going on in his heart that caused him to do this. To cause him to act this way. It's 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 not normal. And yet not only does he does he take off running, but then he just abandons everything that it means to be an adult and starts scampering up this tree. <laughs> and you can see him kicking his little legs trying to work his way up that tree and not even regarding the fact that his fine clothes are probably going to be snagged on the branches as he climbs, but something in him is pulling him. It's compelling him. And that is this man named Jesus who's coming down the way and he just got to get a peek at him and he's willing to do whatever it takes apparently to get a peek at him. And now he finds himself out on a limb. Literally. And he's In a sycamore tree, the scripture says Or otherwise known as a fig tree And as Zacchaeus is peeking through the fig leaves To look at Jesus Well that's the way he learned to approach God Because that's his nature at this point To act like his father Adam To hide behind fig leaves To maybe get a peek at God And we know that Adam sold fig leaves together to try to cover up his nakedness, to try to cover up his shame from sinning. And when God came looking for him, well, we know that uh, he was easy to find. And, well, we'll get to that in just a moment. You know, the, the thing about Adam's sin... Wasn't that he couldn't any longer hear God's voice? He could very much hear God's voice. Matter of fact, the scripture says he and Eve heard the voice of God. It's the way Genesis says it, it's kind of interesting. It says they heard the voice of God walking in the garden, and they went and hid themselves. And then God said, Adam, where are you? So Adam clearly heard him. The problem was not that man couldn't hear God talking to him. The problem was now that man didn't know, no longer knew how to talk to God. And that was the breakdown. Because the first thing out of Adam's mouth was, I was afraid. I was afraid. You are afraid? You've never talked to me like that before. That's not the way you talk to me. Afraid? What are you afraid of? Did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? Jesus, however, can see past those fig leaves. That is man's attempt to cover himself, man's self-righteousness. He also could see past the walls built up over the years. Jesus sees you. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And Jesus saw him. He said to him, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Interesting. The name Zacchaeus has a very interesting meaning to it. It means pure one. But Zacchaeus's actions had shown anything but purity. I mean, does Jesus know who he's talking to? That he would call him, he's the truth, right? He's going to say the truth. Is it really truthful to call him pure one? Is that really the right thing to say? It's not really about the one who is being addressed or spoken to. It's really more about the one who's doing the speaking here. What does he say? I am the way. I am the truth. See, here's the thing that Jesus knows about the grace of God that we all need to remember often is that his grace is greater than our failure. His grace is greater than our sin. His grace is greater than our shortcomings. It has a power that no walls can stand against and no religion can ever replace. Jesus declares pure while Zach is amongst the fig leaves. He declares pure while Zach is in his sin. Don't forget the people said he's going to a sinner's house. None of his own efforts could make him live up to that name. But the moment Jesus declared it, now it set Zach up to become the very thing. Jesus saw him. Jesus sees you. How does he see you? Well, you need to know. And that's where you find that truth in the scriptures. He sees you healed, as he was talking today. When he says it's finished, he sees you in a whole different way today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He sees you in the light of the Lord. He sees you blessed. He sees you righteous today. He sees you holy and blameless and above reproach. Praise God. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy... Aren't you grateful that God is rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he loved us, verse 5... Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. See, he did this long before you even knew about it. He did this long before you ever looked to him, before you ever even believed on him. This is what God did for you. He saw you where you were and decided not to leave you in that situation. You know, the thing is about this amazing grace is that oftentimes it's looked down upon because because people are afraid of people being too free, Especially preachers, they're afraid of preaching such freedom that they they feel like they're giving people a permissiveness or what they call a license to sin. If we preach the gospel, if we really preach the gospel as it's supposed to be preached, that it is so good that this will cause people to throw off their restraints and just run reckless, aimless lives. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because they, they think that by, by, by understand, people understanding grace that, it, that they basically live their lives to that they can do all kinds of terrible things as long as you just walk right in afterward and take the free gift of God's grace. That is nothing. That's just so sad. But you know, why we may be worried about that possibility at times, Jesus apparently wasn't ever worried about that. He wasn't afraid of giving that prodigal son in the story of the prodigal son. He was not afraid of giving him a kiss on the cheek instead of a lecture. He wasn't afraid to give him a party instead of probation. Hmm? And he helps us understand that when he brings the older brother in who acts like a lot of us do. Come on, let's be honest today. Really? You're throwing this guy a party? He ran off and, and lived the way he lived and spent all the money you gave him. He comes home and now you're going to throw a party for him? Doesn't he need to stop partying, Dad? And I've, done, I've been here the entire time for you. You've never thrown a party like this for me. Come on, look, we, we can all relate to the older brother a little bit here, right? But Jesus didn't have a problem doing that. I mean, it seems like I mean he complains that his father you know, seems to be lowering his standards and ignoring virtue with this music and this dancing and this feast that he's having. Just so many permissions. And to that, Jesus has the Father tell his Son, we're not playing good guys and bad guys here anymore. This is about resurrection. He was dead. Now he's alive. This isn't about good behavior any longer. This is about life now, not bookkeeping Amen. All you have to do is simply believe what God says. Believe that Jesus did die for your sins. Believe that they buried him in a tomb. Believe that God raised him from the dead. Believe. Believe. You have to believe that no amount of sin is greater than God's grace to save you. And see you for how he sees you. Believe in his ability to save you and to heal you and to restore you, to prosper you. He's the one who sees you for how you really are and for who you really are. Let's look at verse 5 again of uh, Luke 19. He says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. He welcomes you. God not only sees you, he welcomes you. Jesus welcomes all of us here today by coming to stay in our lives, to live with us. The scripture says we now have this treasure in earthen vessels. Hallelujah. Dr. Richard Seltzer, a MD, wrote a, a book years ago called Mortal Lessons about what he had learned from dealing with people in the the worst kinds of situations. He wrote about one incident where he had to remove a tumor from a young woman's face. And in the process, he was forced to remove a tiny twig of the facial nerve to save her life. But the procedure left her mouth twisted in a palsy. She asked the surgeon, will my mouth always look like this? Or can I recover? Or is there anything I can do? And he said, no, I'm sorry. There's nothing that can be done. I cut that nerve. It will always be like that. Her husband, the doctor said, after the wife was silent and sitting there thinking about her new condition, his eyes never left his wife and he smiled and said, I think it's kind of cute. I like it. Dr. Seltzer said that he watched with wonder as that husband bent down to kiss his wife. And as he approached her mouth, he twisted his own lips to match hers to show her that their kiss would still work. On a hill outside of Jerusalem, in first century Palestine, Jesus Christ himself, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He who was unblemished became mangled to meet us in our mangled condition. He exposed himself to ridicule, was blasphemed so that we who were rightfully accused and accursed, lost in sin and shame, could be clothed in him and be called the sons and daughters of the king. He was forsaken by his father that we, the forsaken, might never be again, that we would be redeemed. Hallelujah. Jesus, the son of God, bent down to kiss humanity, and as he did, he was twisted to meet us sinners in our twisted condition. The very fact that God became a man shows us that God welcomes us all today. Come on, turn to somebody and say, you are welcome. (laughs) You're welcome by God. He welcomes you by coming and staying in your house today. He invited Himself to live in your heart if you'll receive Him. The book of Revelation says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into Him and we'll have dinner together. Hallelujah. He welcomed you long before you even knew Him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses. To them. Hallelujah. Not holding their sins against them, he welcomes you. And lastly, I want you to look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of of Abraham, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Number three, he changes you. He changes you. This one dinner, this one encounter changed Zacchaeus' life, his outlook on life, everything. It took him from being a taker to a giver. One encounter, one experience, one dinner with the Lord. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't give, give Zacchaeus a lecture. When he got there, he didn't sit him down and say, "This is what you need to do. This is what you've been doing wrong." He first started by saying, "Pure one," and then when he went and sat at his house, and Zacchaeus saw that there was he was not being judged, he was having dinner, and in that presence of grace and love and acceptance, his whole life was turned around. Because I imagine that if he really believed that Jesus was the Son of God, then he would have expected judgment. He would have expected condemnation, but that's not what he found in this man. This is no ordinary man he was having dinner with that night. His acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, look, Lord, was proof that he had changed. He was changed by the encounter of the Lord of, with the Lord of glory. All it takes is just one encounter with Jesus. And everything can change for you. One moment in his presence can cure sickness, can cure disease. One encounter can easily remove the heavy burden of sin that maybe you carry about. It can change years of wrong thinking. One moment. One day, while walking home from law school in a violent thunderstorm, a young man was struck by lightning. And in that moment, he cried out, St. Anne, save me, and I will become a monk. Well, he survived the event, and he did exactly what he said he would do. He entered a monastery, and he was determined to make peace with God and save his soul. Try as he might, he soon realized that no amount of good works or selfless devotion to God could take away his sins, and no amount of of grievances and sorrow, sorry feeling, and, and even cutting himself would make him any better And give him the peace that he longed for. One day this little monk was reading his Bible and meditating on God's word. And he came across a short passage of scripture that says the just shall live by faith. At that moment in his life he realized that salvation is not a reward. Or the result of good works or doing without things. He realized that salvation is a gift of God's grace and finally accepted God's forgiveness through faith in his son. One day in speaking of that event in his life, he said, I felt like I had gone through open doors into paradise. At that moment in history, God began what we know as the Reformation through the young monk named Martin Luther. An encounter with God is as easy as opening your Bible and reading it. Reading God's word is just as powerful and real as a face-to-face conversation with God. The Bible is God's message to all of us and that he welcomes you and I with open arms. And if you'll give yourself to his word, you'll discover who you really are. And when you believe and accept what he says about you, that's when exchange change is experienced in your life. I want to bring up one last verse of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Our being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Scriptures reveal your true self to you. It says that we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In the context of this passage of Scripture, which I don't have time to go into the whole chapter, he's talking about the difference between reading the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, looking into the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he says those who keep looking at the Old Covenant, they have a veil over their heart. They can't really see who they are. They can't really see things, how, uh, how they really are now in Christ. But now we, as we look into this, new covenant. See, we understand, we see now we're being transformed. Oh, this is who I am. We're looking into a mirror if you will, in the spirit. You see in the mirror your, you see in the mirror in your house a body. Right? you got to look at that thing every morning. But, but, but really what you're looking at, if you see yourself as God sees you, you're just looking at a body that houses the real you. You are a spirit, that you have a soul, and that you live in a body. And the word of God will cure any identity crisis that you may be plagued with. Look in the mirror. Keep looking in that mirror. Behold your true self and watch that transformation unfold. He changes you. One encounter. And it could be in a... I've been in some powerful church services where you can almost feel the presence of God in the room. That's the only way I know how to say it. It's, I mean, your hair standing up. I don't really have any hair on my arms, but goosebumps, whatever. You know, you get all that, that physical sensation from but it's not always like that. That's why he's given us his scripture, which is a more sure word than any other word out there where you can experience the presence and the power of God every day if you'll take the time to behold that mirror, to look into that mirror and be transformed. He sees you. He welcomes you and he changes you. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for your promises that they are today in Christ and in him. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for what the life that's in your word and what it does for us, God. Hallelujah. Thank you that you see us, that you welcome us, and that you change us. Thank you that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Today, that's who we are in you. Thank you for the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, that he did it for us every experience that he experienced, he experienced for us, showed us what our experience was, is, and will be someday. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, that we have everything in him, everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Lord, I pray now that this word, Father God, will do what it's supposed to do, Lord, that it will touch hearts You'll speak to your people, Lord, and it will be with them. It will echo with them throughout this week. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.